Is it recording? It is. Ah! Welcome back! Season ah! two! Oh, that's four. 22. <laughs> I was like, what? Season, Season two <laughs> of True Crime Dinner Party. True Crime Dinner Party. Hey. Dinner. So what are we talking Hi. about today, Jackie? Today we're going to start with a billionaire, like, Definitely multi-millionaire, but I think billionaire, his mistress gets murdered. Oh, that's kind of like, you know, like Marilyn Monroe got murdered by JFK, right? Same story? Conspiracy. Conspiracy! Oh! oh. Hi, I'm Jackie. And I'm Vida. By the way, guys, we have been thinking about our fun name, True Crime Dinner Party, and there was another name that I optioned at the beginning of this whole venture that was turned down because it reminds Jackie of something that isn't so classy. And uh, Jackie, what's that name? Because I'm such a classy broad. <laughs> yeah, Miss Florida over here. Um, what's the name that I wanted for our podcast? She wanted Two Girls, One Crime. Yes, and the way that it rolls out of her mouth is not as catchy as me when I say it confidently. Two Girls, One Crime. So I Not cut. I think, yeah, you guys know that video from like 2001. Um, I still think it was soft serve ice cream. Just like, gonna put no, it out there. No, 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 no. Anyway, so I think we're rebranding. Mm -hmm. Two girls, one crime. Not cup. Da -da -da. You That's should, gonna be our little like, you should say it every single time. <laughs> Two glasses. We don't use cups, okay? Cheers. <laughs> We've really missed doing this. Missed I've missed you. you. You just saw me. No, but I miss like this part of it. You know, I miss like this. So this story today, yeah. um, should we jump into it? Because this is an event, it's a celebration. We're coming back for season two. I wanted to go a little all out. So we got some filets. We got some lobsters. We got some shrimp. And, and salad. Salad. And mashed potatoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything is so good. Good. So thank you. We already finished a bottle of Dow before we started. What? Wow. <laughs> mm, no. Show them. Okay, you saw it. Now, evidence. I'm proud of that. Erased. Also, we have a special surprise later when the food is more cleared away. Stay tuned. And since it hasn't been nine months since our last recording, no, it's not a baby. From either of us. It could have been you or me. You're the one who's married, okay? <laughs> okay. Blind old lady font size. Thank you. Ready? The murder of Vicki Morgan, the mistress of Alfred Bloomingdale. <gasps> Bloomingdale? Like where I shop? Never, because it's expensive. <laughs> like, do you shop at Bloomingdale? No. <laughs> Wait, weren't we talking about like... No the cheap online clothing for like $5 in the very last episode. Yes. All right, so I'm gonna say the title one more time is another option. The mortar, the mortar, <laughs> another option. It's a good option, I like it. <laughs> I was doing an accent. The mortar of Vicky Morgan. Oh my God, can you imagine if my voice was like that all the time? I, we wouldn't be friends. What? Vicki Morgan was a mistress to the heir of the Bloomingdale department stores. <laughs> nice. Start. We're, we're what, how many minutes in? Shut up. And we're back. 
When the wife puts an end to the 12-year affair, Vicky decides it's not over. She blows it wide open with a lawsuit that details a scandal filled with sadomachism. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I'm learning how to read again. <laughs> Give me a second. Sadomasochism. There we go. <laughs> I know you know what that is. Uh, blackmail sex tapes and classified secrets that go all the way to the White House. Mm. This is like Marilyn Monroe. When she is found bludgeoned to death and a schizophrenic confesses to the crime, authorities are eager to sweep the case under the rug. But was it an unfortunate coincidence at the hands of the criminally insane? Or a conspiracy cover-up to protect powerful men? Dun, dun, dun. Wow, I feel like this is an SUV. No, SVU. Long order. We're going to have great outtakes on this one. No outtakes. Albert Schiffer Bloomdale was born on April 15th, 1916 and was the heir to Bloomingdale's fortune. As a youth, he attended Brown University, where he was a member of the Delta Kappa Epsilon... Close enough. Epsilon fraternity and played football. After graduating, he began working as a salesman at his family's company. But after three years, he left to try his hand as a theatrical agent, where he represented talent including Frank Sinatra and Judy Garland. Those are big names. He was talented. Mm. He made a few attempts at producing Broadway shows and films without much success. And then at the age of 30, moved to L.A. to work as an executive at Columbia Pictures. Jesus Christ. I am mm-hmm. older than that. And I am doing a YouTube podcast for true crime stories. <laughs> but to be fair. That doesn't pay. <laughs> having a couple multi-million billion dollars back in you, you can probably buy your way into a lot of places. Okay, good point. I'm basically like a street rat. I don't buy that. that. If only they'd look closer. We're turning this into a musical. We're back. We're back. (laughs) It's because we did karaoke one time. (laughs) It was great. Alfred ran in exclusive and upscale circles. And as an idea, he came up with the novel concept of a dine and sign card. Where members would no longer need to carry around large amounts of cash when they went out. (gasps) Like a credit card. For this, he was nicknamed the father of the credit card. Oh, I jumped the gun. Mm-hmm. In 1946, he married a young starlet, Betty Lee Betsy Newling. Betsy was a relatively well-off daughter of a Beverly Hills physician. Together, they had three children. As time passed, they would become a prominent couple. They became friends and confidants of Ronald and Nancy Reagan. Mm -hmm. And after his election as president, he would appoint Bloomingdale to the president's Foreign Intelligent Advisory Board, name him a member of the U.S. Advisory Commission on Public Diplomacy, and invite to be a member of the Knights of Malta. Knights of Malta. Just to show that you could get all these powerful positions without any qualifications if you know the right people and you're rich. Not that this is news to anyone. The Sovereign Military Order of Malta, officially the Sovereign Military Hospital... Hospitaller... It's very small print. So black. Of St. John of Jerusalem, of Rhodes and of Malta, commonly known as the Order of Malta, Malta Order of Knights of Malta, Catholic lay religious order, traditionally... Okay. Blah, 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 blah. 
I still don't understand what it is. It's like a military thing for something religious. Is it a cult? That was all yet. Let's look at images. It's a cult. It's just a bunch of people in the same clothing with a star, and they all look the same. So it's like, so like a Illuminati kind of thing. Yeah, it's like a cult. It's like a pope, but not. It's not the pope. Everyone is so confused. I'm confused. Moving on. Moving on. In order to juggle their lives in so many businesses, the elite couple maintained homes in New York, Los Angeles, and Washington, D.C. In 1970, while living in Los Angeles, 54-year-old Alfred began an affair with 18-year-old Vicki Morgan. Legal. Just barely. In the following years, Bloomingdale would shower her with expensive jewelry, designer clothes, beautiful cars, and pay for her luxury apartment. Wow, she's... So pretty. Vicki Morgan was born on August 9th, 1952, as Victoria Lynn Morgan in Colorado to divorced parents and a father who died shortly after birth. Sad. Her mother remarried, but that husband also tragically passed when she was nine years old. Jesus. Penniless and with four children, the family moved to Montclair, California, about an hour east of L.A. Yo, this is the beginning structure of a serial killer, but I know that she's the victim. Very confused. Mm. At 16, Vicky became pregnant. When her boyfriend ended the relationship and abortion was out of the question for the Episcopalian... Episcopalian. Episcopalian. Okay. Tomato, tomato. Vicky's mother pulled her out of high school and enrolled her at St. Anne's School for Unwed Mothers. Oh my God, I've heard of that. Is there, like, St. Anne's in every city? I feel like it. Yeah, St. Mary's, St. Anne's. At St. Anne's, she had her son, Todd. Unable to find work to support a family, she left Todd with her mother and ran away from home. So there were some different interpretations online talking about who Vicky was before she moved to L.A. Some of it said that she was just, like, a troublemaker and she was she did drugs and... She got pregnant, and as soon as the baby was born, she was just like, peace out. And then others kind of showed it as someone who struggled a little more, you know, a little more relatable, I guess, but just couldn't figure out how to make ends meet. And, you know, decided that going to L.A. was her chance at at least figuring out something. Right? Because she did come from a tumultuous background. Mm -hmm. She had not the easiest childhood. Right. My eyes are bothering me so much already. Going from the ring light to this laptop is fucking with me. It's like when I drive at night. Oh, yeah. Stop lights are blurry. Like halos and stuff? Yeah. As Queen Beyonce says, I can see your halo. Halo, halo. I can see your halo, halo, halo. halo. <laughs> I'm going to choke on sick. <laughs> Vicky headed to Los Angeles. And as a beautiful 5'10", 110 pounds. Shh. Holy shit, she was skin and bones. I'm 5'9". I'm 150 pounds on average. 5'3 and a half, and I weigh more than that, too. And she had a baby? This is insane. Skin and I think people were skinnier back then, too. Because there weren't as many fake things in their food. Yeah, like my mom, she like had all these hand-me-down clothes. I was kind of like, oh, yeah, corduroys and stuff. I don't know. I could be vintage. I couldn't fit into any of them. Yeah. Because she's my same height. Yeah. But she's different. 
different body type. So I'm saying, I think people are just structured differently without like all the hormones and the GMOs and the fat and sugar. Yeah. All of this <laughs> and this <laughs> and that. Uh, I'm so glad we're back. Me too. I missed this. I was nervous. That's because we had a bottle and a half already. What? Ah! So, 110 pounds. Blonde. She had dreams of becoming a professional model and actress. In Los Angeles, she initially found work as an usher at the Grauman's Chinese Theater. And at 17, she married a 47-year-old named Earl Lamb in a Las Vegas wedding. Within a year of her marriage, she met 54-year-old Alfred Bloomingdale. At the Old World Restaurant on the Sunset Strip. Does that still exist? I don't know. I've never heard of it. They struck up a casual conversation, and before they parted, she agreed to give him her number. Beginning the following day, Vicky would say that he began calling her 5 to 20 times a day for months. She didn't realize who he was when she first met him, but soon began to suspect that he was someone powerful and important. She finally agreed to do a lunch with him where she learned that he was a married multimillionaire. Mm -hmm. Afterwards, he'd asked to see her again privately before pressing an $8,000 check into her hand. It's a lot of money. In that Especially time, back then. Yeah, I don't even know what that's worth now. Vicky would later swear in a deposition that when he asked her to be his mistress, she replied that she was married, but also... Yes. <laughs> Just so we're clear. Like, how, how do you become a sugar baby, basically? <laughs> Mistress um, is, like, she's... Randomly meet a multimillionaire. She's literally a sugar... This is a sugar baby. Because right. he hands her money. Not just a mistress, right? Because yeah. mistress is just, like, your side So, I'm married, but yes. Okay. <laughs> I'll give you an allowance, on, but you can only use this gift card at Bloomingdale's. <laughs> Sorry. A short while into their arrangement, her husband Earl discovered the affair. In a heated phone conversation, she overheard Bloomingdale offer Earl a large sum of cash to end his marriage with Vicky. Oh my god. He bought him out? He's like, hey, I like fucking your bitch more than you do, and I have more money, so how would I just take the take property? It's crazy. She heard Earl say to him, anybody that tries to buy human beings is not a human being himself. But the marriage was over. And Earl did take the money. <laughs> now, for a second, I thought Earl was a decent human. He was more like, anybody that tries to buy human beings is not a human being himself. But don't worry, that's not me. I'll take your cash. But he didn't mention anything about being the person that buys the human. Yeah. <laughs> and you came to the right place. But his wife had already been yeah, cheating sure on him. No, I know, but you don't have to take money. On principle? Well, no. How much money are we talking about? It doesn't matter. If you truly believe in your words, money doesn't mean that much to you. If love means more and loyalty. Yeah, but she stuff. wasn't going to leave Alfred for Liam. As Alfred's sugar baby, she soon found her social media... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> As Alfred's mistress, she soon found she soon found her social circle to include influ influencers. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it just like feels like we're still talking about today. 
It's like nothing changes. It just it just like evolves. You know, cheating, adultery. She soon found her social circle to include influential politicians, wealthy businessmen, and notable celebrities, including the Playboy. Bernie Kornfeld. She would frequently accompany Alfred on trips to Florida, Bahamas, Europe, and holiday treats to an expensive spa in La Costa. The first home he leased to her was on Sierra Mar Drive in West Hollywood with a cook and a housekeeper. Publicly, Alfred would introduce Vicky as his daughter. <laughs> Barf. <laughs> But everyone knew who she was to him. Mm-hmm. You know, I've told you, I once went to dinner with my dad late at night after he picked me up from, like, the airport when I was mm-hmm. in college. And the waitress was like, what would you two like? Some cocktails? And she didn't even card me. Yeah? And I was like, assumed. I was like, ew. Ty and I play a game every once in a while when we go out to eat and we see couples like that. Daughter or Jade? It is unclear how long his wife Betsy was aware of this mistress. But in 1973, while out shopping with their daughter, she saw Alfred and Vicky share an affectionate kiss in public as he dropped her off at the hair salon. So they met in the 70s. Because it doesn't say when they met the year. Mm. No, she was 17 when they met. Okay, so 1952 plus 17 is... 1952 Vicky's lifeline was suddenly cut off, and soon she found herself spiraling into poverty and depression. Despite having had a monthly allowance of upwards to $18,000, the bitch didn't save it? Probably because she couldn't open her own bank account. Uh, it Wait, was. is that true? Yeah, women couldn't even have their own credit card. In the 70s? When wow. were women allowed to have it boggles my mind a how bank account only recently progressive we okay had. never mind so bank accounts 60s 1960s they could have bank accounts but still 60s yeah. is way later than i expected too when did we get the right to vote okay so okay this is what i was thinking of mm-hmm. so women couldn't have a credit card until 1974 everything before that they had to have a man on the account to vouch for the woman. Got it. So what she it, was it. allowed to have a bank account, however, she did not use it. <laughs> Clearly. Close contacts would tell stories about how she would travel first class, shop at Nina Marcus while a limo waited on her outside, and how she would give lavish presents to friends and family. I would do the same fucking thing. She indulged in designer drugs. What? Took acting lessons and, and got her hair cut at high-end salons. One person recalled how she once spent $100,000 remodeling a house that she was only renting. Crazy. I didn't know you could remodel a house you rented. I didn't either. Even though she drove exotic cars, she never owned a title. Mm-hmm. 
Of all the expensive homes she lived in, she never held a deed. Even though she lived rent-free because of her extravagant lifestyle, she had nothing to show for all that money. In 1977, she filed a damage suit against Bloomingdale, represented by Paul Caruso, a Beverly Hills lawyer. However, the suit was dropped. Her attorney would admit that the only reason she wanted the suit filed was if that makes her sound like a high-class girl. That's what it sounds like to me. By 1979, Vicki Morgan had been married and divorced two more times to actor John Carson and a wealthy real estate developer, Robert Schulman. For a few months, she also lived in Beverly Hills with financier Bernie Cornfield, who we heard about earlier, and even had a brief tryst with an Arabian prince who had a love for heroin. Tryst. Tryst. A tryst. I just want to eat all the However, as men who used to be willing to take her in and take care of her began to ignore her, she became more and more destitute. I'm not going to lie. I'm very surprised that when the wife found out about this affair, mm -hmm. that he he cut it off. He actually did. Yeah. yeah, I didn't see it mm -hmm. going in that direction. Do we know if he just like got a different mistress? Don't know. Let me delve into it. He definitely was not just cheating with her. Yeah. Spoiler. Maybe she was also a headache and he was relieved like, to finally have an out. Oh, my wife figured us out. Bye. Because someone who runs through so many men like this and like, you know, I'm so materialistic. How lovable are they? I mean, I feel like after a couple of people, especially in the same circle... You understand what you're getting into yeah. with that particular person, right? <laughs> <laughs> I won't go in my mouth. Go in my mouth. <laughs> That's not what she said. Ball wine. Okay. Are you guys ready for the surprise? Okay, Dex, come here. Come here, come here, baby. Up, up. Oh, oh, and he loves her. He just wants to eat the food off of her face. He's like, you humans are sloppy. So Dex is from Tijuana, Mexico. He was found in November of 2021. And he was a hot fucking mess. You're still a mess. No. That's why your mommy loves you. Yes, we are so similar. And now he is a domesticated doggy that lives in Hollywood with me. Say hi. Mm -hmm. Look, now it's like they've got permission to fly. Permission to express themselves. They were sitting so painfully <laughs> the whole time. Wow. All right, guys, we're recording sound, so if you could just hold off on all that, all that love-making noise. Dex, are you ready? Dex, it's not time to lick your lady parts. I mean, your manly parts. And then Arabian Prince, cool. She resorted to sex work and became a drug addict. That's very sad. Mm -hmm. Bloomingdale offered to pay her to go to rehab and get the treatment she needed to get back on her feet. Which is very kind. So he must have cared about her a lot. Mm -hmm. So and I think that was sneaky away from his wife. Yeah. He wasn't like, hey wife, uh, my 
Uh, the, the affair that I had. So that girl, she's not doing well. I was thinking, because yeah. I love her. Um, I, I'm going to send her to rehab. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> so she went to the Thalians Community Mental Health Center in L.A. for depression and a dependency on alcohol and Valium. It was there she met Marvin Pancoast, a gay man who had been in and out of such institutions for years. He was diagnosed as schizophrenic, manic depressive, psychotic, and masochistic. He became infatuated with Vicky and her stories of the high life she briefly got to live while as Alfred's mistress. And Vicky relished the attention. They became best friends. In 1982, Alfred was diagnosed with throat cancer and reached out to Vicky for the first time in years and told her that he had only two months to live. He promised her that she would never have to worry about money again if she returned to him to be his sex slave. Now, there's two versions from what I read about what happens next. One version is that Vicky accepts and says, okay, I'll come back. You're a sex slave. You take care of me. And she was loyal. She really cared about him. You know, like, she stayed with him. She did whatever stuff that he wanted her to do. And when he got hospitalized, she would go to the hospital. She would be by his side, take care of him. Whenever Betsy came and was like, get the fuck out, bitch, she would dress up like a nurse sneak past so that she could stay there very sweet um but then the other stories completely glaze over that part in either case she did file a lawsuit and that's where ultimately we jump in so we don't know if it was out of spite like her motive was spiteful or because she genuinely felt that the relationship they had was valid should be acknowledged and I mean, at this point, it had been 12 years, so maybe she felt like she was due to something, even though he abandoned her for a while. You know, maybe he meant something. Sure, you can feel entitled mm-hmm. if some you feel like someone loves you. Sure. And they have billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. So now, 30, an old maid. Vicky filed a multi-million dollar palimony? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So palimony lawsuit. I said it right. Mm-hmm. You said it right. Do you know what palimony is? I know what alimony is. <laughs> so palimony is for your pal. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It, I mean, kind of close enough. Palimony is basically like saying that you don't have an official legal relationship, but you have a relationship. And if the courts deem that you guys are like together and everything else, then you are entitled to uh, breakup money. Cool. Yeah. So, I will look forward to my palimony in this sense. <laughs> yeah. Because you're my pal. <laughs> All Not right. So, your dad. Nikki <laughs> filed. Hey, everyone. We recorded that. She would hire a famous Hollywood attorney, Marvin Mitchelson, and file a $5 million lawsuit. Some sources said it was like $11 million. Which is a lot of millions, especially back then. As the pretrial continued, however, Vicky found out that during this time, Mitchelson took a dinner and a meeting at the White House. This was also during the presidency of Ronald Reagan. Oh, so that was in the 80s. Hmm. I was right. 1982. Losing trust in Mitchelson, she fired him and hired a new attorney, Robert Steinberg. 
During this time, since she was once again financially supported by Alfred, she reached out to her mother and insisted that her son come back into her life. Wow, how old is her son? 13? 14? 14. He moved in with her, as did her mother. <laughs> the mom was like, okay, but not unsupervised. Wow. As the trial proceeded and their affair became public, it made headline news with shocking details of their sordid relationship and allegations of sadoma- sadomasochistic activities. Did I say that right? Yeah. In a 231-page deposition, she testified witnessing events such as a drooling Alfred Bloomingdale flog naked women until they would cry. What does that mean? Flog? Yeah. To, like... Beat or whip or, like, pirate's flog. Scary. Vicky testified that she despised that part of him. He was Jekyll and Hyde, she said. Alfred was strange, and I don't mean a fantasy. I mean a sickness. On her first trip to his home, a three-acre estate in Bel Air, an unidentified woman who escorted Vicky warned her, Alfred has a real interest in you, and I'm here to tell you that he's going to beat you when he sees you at the house, as he does with all the hookers he sees. That's disgusting. I'm slightly intoxicated. Appropriate. So she filed a lawsuit while she was dating him still? So that's where the two stories uh, diverge, right? She loved him, came back to him, and then filed this lawsuit because she felt she was owed do money. it, right? Or she was like, you know what? Fuck you. You abandoned me, made me poor. I had to resort to sex work. I got hooked on drugs. I'm going to use this ammo against you and still get what she was felt she was due, right? Those were the two motives. We're not really sure which one it was. So right now, what I'm reading about mm-hmm. this, Alfred has real interest in you, and I'm here to tell you that he's going to beat you when mm-hmm. he sees you up at the house. Mm-hmm. That's in 1982? Correct. So this is all flashbacks. So, so the first thing I, I know was, was like, at the restaurant. I was so... That's what I was confused yeah. about. I was like, when the fuck did this... Yeah. Second time documented was when she had lunch, and he gave her the $8,000 okay. check. So this is like third or... Okay. Now I feel less confused. Okay. She herself would then admit to participating in such sessions. Sometimes he would make her beat the other women while he watched. Other times he would make them crawl on the floor as he sat on their backs. So degrading. Afterwards, he would ask her, wasn't that fun? Ew. Vicky would say, I was scared to death to say anything, but yes. You better believe I said this was fun. When asked why she didn't flee, she would respond, I was scared to leave at that point, but then added, Alfred is the most fascinating man I'd ever met in my entire life. It's like Stockholm Syndrome. She announced during the trial that she was preparing to write a tell-all book, which would name influential politicians and businessmen who had been clients of hers. Additionally, she hinted at private conversations that Alfred had confided in her about prominent figures like President Reagan and regarding sensitive matters such as campaign contributions. Mm -hmm. It was also revealed that in 1971, she had become pregnant with Alfred's child. 
While Vicky maintained that Alfred had promised her that he would divorce his wife and marry her, ultimately, he reconsidered and told her to have an abortion, which she did. However, the scandal that surrounded Vicky began to take a toll. She was terribly upset by how she was portrayed in court. By her own admissions to try to take down a Bloomingdale, she had unwittingly provided the damning details that would be her own downfall before a judge. Of course, because men are allowed to be scandalous and women are not. Well, men with a lot of money. Two months after the lawsuit was filed, Alfred Bloomingdale died of throat cancer on August 23, 1982 in Santa Monica at the age of 66. Betsy had him buried quickly and without a large announcement or event, which some considered odd, given who he was. But maybe she just didn't give a fuck because he was a sick man. Meaning sick in the head, not sick in the throat. After his death, there was a contract that was brought to attention that Albert had drawn up while he was in the hospital. Witnessed and signed, it stated that he would give Vicky half of his shares of one of his companies and $240,000. However, the judge ruled it unenforceable as it was for illegal sex work and ultimately only awarded her $40,000, calling their relationship no more than that of a wealthy, older, married paramour and a young, well-paid mistress. That sucks. When his will was read, there was no mention of Vicki Morgan at all. She was completely on her own. Yo, he's super creepy here. Yeah, I don't like that picture at all. She's always so cute. She's very vibrant, but I don't know. It feels like a very fake smile, too. I mean, she just has that face. She that's just like, seems like, hey, I'm great. I'm with a schmuck. <laughs> Her lavish gifts were sold off one by one to support herself as time passed. Soon, Vicky reached out to her best friend, Marvin Pancoast, her friend from rehab, and he moved into her $1,000 a month, three-bedroom condominium in the San Fernando Valley. That's so cheap. She was close to getting, I mean, not at the time, but she was close to getting evicted for non-payment and lived in disarray, surrounded by remnants of her past life. She returned to prostitution while Marvin worked odd jobs such as operating the Xerox machine <laughs> at William Morris Agency. Oh my god, that's like the copy guy. Can you imagine? You're just like, oh yeah, I work at WMA. You're like, oh my god, really? What do you do? I do a lot of paperwork and machinery. It's very important what I do. If I mess up, I mess up a lot of people's days. I do all the contracts. <laughs> Being a gopher. A gopher? Being a gopher? Like a little gopher? I have no idea. The guy who just goes and gets stuff. At Rogers and Cohen's and being a low-level employee at the office of producer Alan Carr. One day, Pankos thought that he had contracted HIV and was becoming terminally ill. During this time, his daily counseling sessions with the psychiatrist were also terminated. He became distraught and increasingly unstable. And in the 80s, the AIDS, uh, yeah, HIV AIDS epidemic the, was like epidemic. super, super scary. Why did his psychiatrist stuff get cut off? That's not good. Know. On July 7th, 1983, less than 11 months after Bloomingdale's death, Pankos walked into the North Hollywood police station at 3.20 a.m. and confessed to murdering Vicki Morgan in their apartment. 
Police found her body in her bed, bludgeoned to death with a baseball bat. Oof. During his testimonies, Marvin's version of how he came to live with her was that he offered to move in initially to help support her and her 14-year-old son while she worked on her scandalous book. But he claimed his three-week stay with her was pure hell. Okay, so she's writing a tell-all book, so mm-hmm. there's motive for yeah, politicians. Yeah. or That's why I keep saying Ooh, Marilyn Monroe. Such conspiracy. Oi! Oi! Alright, no more playing. Hey, stop it. I need silence. I don't know. I don't know about this. No, you guys can't be in here. I love this idea, but it's terrible. I feel like we need to have a separate camera on just them and have it as an insert, and that would boost our viewership. Would it, guys? Do you care more about dogs than true crime? So we're essentially just recording ourselves watching the dogs. Yeah, I love them. Yeah, they're cute. Everyone out. Yeah, Everyone we, out. We can't. Go we to can't. daddy. Go to daddy. Go to guy. Go with that guy. Go get that guy. I'm crazy. <laughs> he said that she acted like the queen of Sheba and was always needling and commanding him to fetch and cook. He found himself buying all the groceries, making payments on the car, she totaled when she was drunk. On the night of her death, he recalled that Vicky was complaining about their apartment and how it was beneath her. So while settled in bed and watching the evening news, she had insisted that he get out of bed and drive to the store for potato chips. Ugh, that's so annoying. When he returned, Vicky couldn't sleep, complaining and reminiscing nonstop about her better days and made Pankos rub her feet. Eventually, Pankos says he was able to fall asleep, only to be awoken again by Vicky chewing gum and smoking. He stated that he remembered Todd's baseball bat was in the car. He went out to retrieve it, and when he got back in, he started hitting her. He justified his actions, saying that she wanted to die. But some things just didn't add up. There was no blood spatter on his clothing after such a violent murder. The drawers of her dresser had also been ransacked, and there was no memoir or writings to be found. And what was Marvin's motive? Okay, so it sounds like my theory about like the whole memoir thing and outing politicians mm-hmm. is looking good. <laughs> the police work involved in the case was also found to be colossally inept. No fingerprints were taken at the scene of the crime. When the coroner arrived, he was forbidden from examining... When the coroner arrived, he I think was I kicked them out too. <laughs> <laughs> he was forbidden from examining the murder weapon. Furthermore, it had already been sealed in a plastic bag, which is a fundamental mistake in standard protocol because any evidence with organic matter like blood or tissue should never be sealed in plastic because it creates a humid environment that promotes the bacterial growth that destroys blood and tissue. And finally, The house was never sealed afterwards, so anyone could have entered the house if they wanted and compromised the crime scene. Mm -hmm. So, was Pankost's story a cover-up? I would say yes. It looks that way. Acquaintances and friends would insist that Marvin was not guilty. 
nutty as a fruitcake, yes, but a murderer, <laughs> no. A previous lover of Marvin's was incredulous. Never in a million years would I think he could commit that kind of violence. A friend and previous co-worker came forth and claimed that he was well-liked and easygoing, sympathetic and very supportive. His craving in life was to be famous, she revealed. When she described visiting him in prison, he had a file folder of all the newspaper front pages that he had been on, and he was stroking the folder saying, look, I'm on the front page. It feels like a moment for ice cream. His appearance in the courtroom was heavily sedated by recommendations of his mother. He was represented by two lawyers who were both odd choices. One of his attorneys, Arthur Behrens, was a friend of his mother's and took on the case as a request by her. He was in practice as a personal injury lawyer and worked for years in real estate. Not who I would have gone to. In a curious coincidence, it was actually recommended to him to handle Vicki Morgan's palimony suit. Ultimately, he turned it down because he felt that he couldn't win. I think this is the case of people that don't have money. They're like, hey, do I have any friends that are lawyers? Okay, you're a lawyer. Just figure it out. Yeah, but also, like, if your son is being charged with murder, wouldn't you want to, like, that's not the point where you would cut corners? Mm-hmm. Did you spill on my laptop? No, I didn't. I, I didn't. I dripped on my lip, and it hung tight, and then I sucked it back in. <laughs> His second lawyer hired was Ted Matthews, who made no efforts to hide his homophobic, homophobic repulsion of his client's lifestyle and sexual practices, which no doubt could have had an influence on a jury's impression of Marvin Pankow's character and case. It is also claimed that his mother's bank account reflects an amount enough to be taken care of for life. It was during this time that Marvin Pankos announced that he had three videotapes that would be highly embarrassing to the Reagan White House. Mm. Vicky's former lawyer, Robert Steinberg, would gain possession of these tapes from Marvin, but then later claimed the tapes were stolen from his office. Where did they go? The content described were of Vicky and three other women having sex with Alfred Bloomingdale, a congressman, two top-level presidential appointees, and several known associates of Ronald Reagan. There were also reports of other incriminating tapes and documents that were picked up by the L.A. Police Department during investigation of the murder site. But afterwards, the LAPD would neither confirm or deny the existence of such evidence. You know what? Hey, Steve, you know what they're talking about? I don't know what they're talking about. Did you see this? Even Marvin Mitchelson claimed he had learned that a White House advisor had confirmed the existence of these tapes that compromised a Reagan cabinet member. Was she killed for blackmail? <laughs> Less than three weeks into Marvin Pankow's trial, he recanted his confession and his lawyers claimed that they could prove that someone else killed Vicki Morgan for the sex tapes. But when the videotapes failed to surface after weeks and weeks of speculation, the judge had no choice but to exclude them as evidence as they had not materialized. In the second week of trial, a writer named Gordon Basicus yeah. was called to the stand. He had been working with Vicki Morgan on her revenge memoir, Alfred's Mistress, and would have known all the private details during their eight months of working together. When Gordon Basicus was on the stand, he was sweaty and nervous. 
There was no outline or chapter written. And when the tapes were ordered to be turned over, only six hours were handed over. If there were more recordings during the eight months, there was no trace of them. He claimed that the blackmail videotapes did not exist and that he would have known because he and Vicky had spent so much time together. Mm. Sometime between Vicky's death and Marvin's trial, Gordon wrote and completed the book Alfred's Mistress. It was a strangely written book and was a mixture of commonly known facts that could be found in other sources and other facts that were completely inaccurate. Most importantly, there were no names named and no secrets revealed. There was nothing in the book that would be a cause of embarrassment for anyone other than Vicky. So the question is, is did he actually not find out anything? Or was he bribed to hide it? I think he was bribed. Yeah. yeah. All sweaty on the stand. And yeah. Nervous. It also came to light that Vicky and Gordon began a love affair immediately after meeting. One week before her death, Vicky broke it off with him and fired him as a collaborator and did not give any payment for any of the services up until that time. A fight ensued, and while Gordon did admit to pushing Vicky around, Vicky's mother stated that he had punched her until there were black and blue marks all over her face and body. The police refused to question him for three months, and even then only did so with the prompting of a news reporter. He had an alibi for the time of her murder. Hmm. During a break in the trial, Gordon spoke to a reporter. They're trying to pin this murder on me. I didn't kill her, I swear to you. When asked, who do you think killed her? He replied, Marvin, with help. Oh, oh, oh. It was the dog. Oh. The dog farted. Oh, I'm having a lot of indigestion. Ice cream will help. <laughs> After four and a half hours of deliberation, Marvin was sentenced to 26 years to life in prison for the murder of Vicki Morgan. And the case was closed and swept under the rug. Robert Steinberg was indicted for filing a false robbery report for the missing tapes. During his incarceration, Marvin told a psychiatrist that he believed that Betsy Bloomingdale and Ronan Reagan were in a conspiracy against him and that he was monitored by the FBI and CIA. But these claims were not investigated or taken seriously because he was schizophrenic. Marvin died in prison in 1991 after serving seven years. And he died from AIDS. After Vicky's death, her mother, Constance, and her son Todd continued the palimony lawsuit. In December of 1984, a jury awarded Morgan's estate the remaining $200,000 from the Bloomingdale estate. Uh, the the thing he... 240. Yeah, the 240 on the, the deathbed. first. So the 200. So what do you think? Legally speaking, the schizophrenic roommate killed her. And maybe he did. I don't think he did. But what? I don't think he did. Or maybe he was not in his right mind, and so they were able to, like, make him actually physically do the deed, but twist, you know what but I mean? But there was no evidence supporting they did it. Like, there was no blood splatter. Yeah, if you'd be someone with like, baseball bat, all, I would imagine that's everywhere. Yeah, and all of the, um, and all of the documents that she was, like, the mm-hmm. book she was writing yep, gone. was gone. So it just makes me think, like, and the police were paid off to, like, not investigate properly. Like, they mm-hmm. put the evidence in plastic bags, like... A lot of things were done in error, and I think if... Oh, thank you. 
<laughs> I'm eating it all. You don't even like dessert. I know. I don't know why. You don't even like red wine. I don't know what's going on. Are you hey, pregnant? It's, no, it's season two. It's a new me. God, I like you more. <laughs> yeah, we're out. Whoa, we did two bottles today. No, we did not. Stop it. Honestly, the things that are like running through my head right now are, okay, this girl led a life of chaos. She attracted chaos. Mm -hmm. I would not have been friends with her. I would have met her at parties, but I would have looked at her and been like, girl, you just attract drama. Why do you keep trying to date these high profile men? Don't you want love? And like some people don't, but ultimately someone this sad, I think all they want love, but they're looking for it in materialism. Oh, well, I was just gonna say, I mean, do you think she actually wanted love or was she just she power? wanting to be taken care of? You know, because that's think, all the same thing. I think everyone wants love. Not everyone's a diehard romantic like you. I know. <laughs> I am. It just doesn't surprise me that somebody who attracted so much chaos mm -hmm. and demanded it from the universe mm -hmm. died in such a chaotic way. She was either murdered by her roommate, murdered by her writing partner who she had an affair with, mm -hmm. murdered by her ex's family because of the fear of you know, personal details being released into a book. I mean, it was the 80s. It's not like it was the 1950s. Like, it oh, was the it, 80s. But it's also still so much easier to get away with crimes like that because there isn't the same level of, like, CCTV as there is now, right? There's not this there isn't, no tracing on the internet. Like, you can't, there's not cell phones. Forensics and, is not where no, it is. No, it's definitely it was. not. And I don't even think DNA was a thing back then. No. So it was like, if you... That was a human meal. We heard you. <laughs> so if they didn't even take fingerprints and didn't, you know, catalog like the the murder weapon and all of that stuff correctly, like you have literally nothing to go on. Yeah. Let's talk about the mom, right? Marvin's mom. Yeah. I think she was bought out. Hired but terrible she, lawyers. So you think her bank account was full of money because she got bought out? So yes. she so she got money, received it, put it in Correct. the bank, then hired terrible yes. lawyers. Yes. Or hired the terrible lawyers, and when he went to prison, she got the payout. Yeah, because it's essentially, <laughs> they could have been like, your son is a train wreck. He's not. He has he, no he life. He can take to... the fall for Yeah, it. he has no future. Mm -hmm. He has AIDS. He is going to die. In the 80s, yeah. The way people are treated in a class structure, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's pretty sad, it's you know? Really if you have, If you have no grounds because you don't have money. Right, right. You are trash to the wealthy. I mean, you're just disposable. You get murdered, and then your friends that are equally trash get framed for your murder, and the wealthy people walk away, and they're like... Because also, like, remember, he had this completely well-fabricated story, right? About how, like, oh, I moved in to help her pay her bills and take care of her son... You are the Xerox copy machine guy. Like, how much... How are you going to pay possibly, those bills? You know, yeah. like, yeah... And then he took his statement back. Yeah. Do you remember? He yeah. was like, oh, no, I, I take it back. I lied, right? I never said those things. You know, let's just, like, screw the judicial system. Screw this whole thing. <laughs> I I often think, like, how do we treat each other? And totally. I, just, like, reading the story, mm -hmm. it's quite mm -hmm. exhausting to see how Vicky ran through men using them for money. Mm -hmm. And... 
this class or what what am I trying to say? Subculture. They're the elites. The elites right? and very they, powerful. They treat these women that seek these partnerships mm-hmm. as disposable. And right. it, you know, like you are one of many. Mm-hmm. If you don't behave, if you don't follow the instructions, you will be replaced. Mm-hmm. I look at that and I think about, you know, throughout the decades, how this has been, oh, those people do that and we don't want anything to do with it. However, in 2018, the Me Too movement came about. Mm -hmm. I think that's the first time that people stood up and said, you know what? Just because men are offering sex for a role doesn't mean it's right if the girl says yes. It's actually not her fault because they're in a position of power mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they are saying instead of using your talents as a mm-hmm. artist, how about you let me uh, take you in a vulnerable place, mm-hmm. have my way with you, forever have you be in fear of me, and then you can have your dreams. And I think it's the first time that mm-hmm. society has all come together and said, you know what, that fucking shit needs to stop. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, it doesn't have to even be rape. It's transactional from a female perspective. Voluntarily giving up whatever it is on her side. That it means to her. You know, like, herself. Yeah. But the the, the difference is is when it's from the man of power, or the woman of power, whoever, of power. Just the person of power. It's not so much, like, what can the other person get as a reward. It's what can the other person be threatened with if they said no and i think that's like the big thing because in the traditional sugar daddy sort of scenario i don't think there is a there isn't so much a negative i think there is i do i think prostitution and sugar babying is very dangerous no i think once you were to refuse that being in that situation it's still dangerous i do i Mm -hmm. think that once you put yourself in the position of being Mm -hmm. open to that kind of conduct if you reject someone don't think that it's I yeah I don't think even women now I don't think it's safe yeah I think once you enter have politely not to yeah no I think if you enter that agreement once you're in that world yeah like trying to turn something down unless you have like a male pimp there to be like don't fucking touch my girl but that's a whole nother person to be scared of yeah but then it's like still the man has to protect the woman from the man so i mean she said in her testimony is that she was scared like why didn't she flee yeah because she was afraid because she entered a world where she was powerless and she had to go along with everything they flipped the narrative to make me think like oh well they're doing this to themselves or it's their fault or she's crazy yeah yeah she's making it all up yeah that's the cop out yeah it's just like oh one of these whores wants to bring a lawsuit to a bloomingdale good luck (laughs) oh the whore wants Mm -hmm. uh two hundred and forty thousand dollars from the estate (laughs) okay oh the whore wants to write a book let's kill her it's not gang violence it's like elite violence um, which should be a term because that's a real fucking thing. The fact that she wasn't in the will, he was completely, utterly using her the entire time. Because not only like was she not in the will, not only was everything he was saying in her ear like a total lie, but $240,000? Not much. He is a multi, multi-millionaire. Yeah, it's not much. I mean, it's a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. It's, it's a enough lot, to like but... buy her loyalty. Yeah, it's, it's a know? lot of money, but like for her it's a lot of money, but like coming from him... It's not a lot of money, so it doesn't mean that much coming from Nothing. him. You know, Nothing. and he was like, I'm dying anyways. So yeah. it's like, yeah. I won't even be here when the uh, transaction yeah. happens. Totally. Like, fuck you, fuck everyone. I always feel so bad for women that get involved with men like that, but at the same time, at, at some point you do realize, like, 
it's a choice to continue in this lifestyle and you're the only person that can take yourself out. And this girl never chose a different lifestyle. I think everyone has a price. Okay. Would you ever consider being someone's mistress? No. Never? No. $18,000 a month. No, because money isn't very real to me. And you have no expenses. That's just money in your pocket. I just don't view money that way. And then $50,000? What about a million dollars? I am not the person for that role because I, I... What if this person deceived you and said that they were going to divorce their wife because they wanted to be with okay. you. Change the context and say that I'm in love with someone and they're offering and me love, they, then I would fall Because for they it. courted you before you even knew that they were a Okay, but I'm talking about after this. After he dumped her, she had an opportunity to change her path. Yeah, she, she did. did. She and did. She didn't, and that's what I'm saying. I'm saying like people that get involved with criminals... I once got involved with a criminal. I told you the story. Yeah. And no, it was no. terrifying. And then I realized, holy shit, why am I involved with criminals? It woke me the fuck up. I was like, wait, I don't want to be, yeah. I don't want to be associated with this type of people. But is that not blaming the victim in the sense I am that, not like, blaming you know, her. Like, I'm just saying like What people, if she didn't have options? What if she didn't have We all like, have options. She was, it's all she knew since she was 17. Sure. But there's always, I mean, I don't know about the 80s, but there's always ways to like... I mean, she couldn't even have her own credit card, so was she able to 1974, she could have her own credit card. That's when. 1960, her bank account. Yeah. I was just complimenting her. This was a very interesting case that she chose to start off season two of Two Girls, One Crime. I love it. I think it's really cute. Yeah. Getting used to it. Yeah. Subscribe and like. Make sure to follow our channel to see all our videos. And uh, find us on Patreon if you want to support us. Patreon. Patreon. Also, we go through a lot of wine. So if you guys want to buy us a drink, that would be great. <laughs> Two girls, one crime. <laughs> Two girls, one crime. Okay, we're out. Good night. Peace. <laughs>